Hey, we are so thankful that you're taking the time to tune into Grumlaw Church's podcast. It's our hope that this is an encouragement to you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you'd like to find out more about all things Grumlaw or for more info on our in-person gatherings, you can check us out at grumlaw.com. Now lean in. We're expectant for how God is going to use this time to speak to you today. Well, good morning, Grumlaw. My name is Melissa and I am the Next Steps Director around here. It is always an honor and privilege to bring the message to you. And I love that I'm a part of a faith community that allows people to use their gifts and their talents. So I'm so grateful to be here with you this morning. But before we jump into today's message, we just wanna take a moment to acknowledge the significance of this weekend. We have so many free in this country that would not be if it weren't for the men and the women who were willing to sacrifice everything. And so we just want to say thank you. Grumlaw wants to say thank you. I want to say thank you to the men and the women who gave their lives so that I could be here this morning just teaching this message. Um, and so it is our hope and our encouragement to you that you would take time this weekend to remember, because it's easy, let's be honest, to take for granted what we have or to just forget and go to our barbecues and have a great time with our families. But we wanna encourage you to take a moment um, to be thankful and to remember uh, why it is that we get to celebrate all that we do and the freedoms that we have. So thank you for that. All right, so this morning, I get to bring a message to you as for me and my house. And I get the privilege of giving you or telling you two stories. And the first story that I'm going to tell you this morning is about an ancient hero of the Jewish faith. And then the second story is my own. Uh, we're gonna start with Joshua. And Joshua was a slave born in Egypt. He was one of millions in a nation of Israel who got to witness incredible miracles of God. And scripture records that he was a man of great courage and great faith. And you see, when Joshua first steps onto the pages of history, we see that he's one of a very few people of an entire generation who believed and trusted that God would be faithful. He was one of like, if you're reading in scripture in Joshua, about four people, one of four in two plus million who actually said, God, I'm counting on you. God, I trust you. God, I believe that you will do what you say you will do. And Joshua's people, this is who he's talking to. He's, these are people who witnessed incredible miracles. They saw God do incredible things. They, they walked through a sea on dry land and Joshua was saying, people, hey, like, let's go, let's go, let's go into this promised land. Let's take God up on his word. And these people said, mm, no thanks, we're just not sure. And I wonder how incredibly frustrating that must have been for Joshua and for his friend Caleb and for Moses and Aaron, the few who we know said, we believe God, we want to go do this. Joshua's like, I'm ready. I'm ready, I'm ready to go from slavery to freedom, let's go. And the people said, no thanks. And so because of that, he had to wander in the desert 
for 40 years, the punishment for the people's disbelief was that they would not be able to enter into the land that God promised them. The punishment was that everybody of fighting age, all of the men, so somewhere between 18 and 20, would have to wander in the desert until they died before then God would be ready with this next generation to take the land that was promised to them. You see, God rewarded Joshua's faithfulness though. Once the 40 years were over, God chose him to be the one to lead this new generation of people into that land. And the book of Joshua, which is found in the Old Testament, it's the first half of the Bible. It records for us his story. All that Joshua witnessed, including more incredible miracles of God. He saw a river dry up and people walk through on dry land. He saw huge fortified concrete like walls come falling down at just the shout of people's voices and ram's horns being blown. He saw a giant hailstorm come fall from the sky and defeat his enemy while his army was completely safe. Joshua even witnessed something that's recorded for us in scripture. It actually has evidence in science. He saw the sun stand still. It's recorded for us in Joshua chapter 10. It says this, so the sun stood still and the moon stayed in place until the nation of Israel had defeated its enemies. The sun stayed in the middle of the sky and it did not set on as, as on a normal day. There has never been a day like this, one before or since, when the Lord answered such a prayer. Surely the Lord fought for Israel that day. Joshua saw incredible miracles of God and he remained faithful his whole life. And I'm, I, as I'm reading through something, well, how could he not? I mean, if you watch the sun stand, stand still and, and you see walls 20 feet thick just come crumbling to the ground with just the shout of voices. If you watch a river dry up, Joshua would have seen all of the miracles God did in Egypt to deliver his people. I mean, what would his cho other choice be? It, it seems easy that he would believe in God and remain faithful. And I think, well, who else has seen this kind of faithfulness of God? And I thought, well, me. So I wanna tell you a little bit about my story. I did not grow up in a home where my mom and dad both loved Jesus. My father grew up with a mom who fled from Mormonism and a father who was very hardened by war and by his job as a Detroit police officer. And I remember one time when I was 16 years old, my grandma was sick and I was sitting on the floor of a hospital hallway with my grandpa. And I remember the Holy Spirit just stirring in me and, and encouraging me to talk to my grandpa about Jesus. And I still look back and I think of my like 16 year old young faith, like how did I have the courage to have this conversation with him? But I did. And my grandfather's response was, I just don't believe. And I still remember the words he said to me he said, unless a dead man comes back to life and I see it, I won't believe. And I remember not having the words, I mean, I was so young, 
to respond to him. And I carried that weight of not having the right response for years and years thinking, man, if I had just, if I could have just told him something, maybe he would have changed his mind. And it was probably about 10 years later, I had this like aha moment where I thought, wait a minute, a dead man did come back to life. His name is Jesus. And people saw it and wrote it down in this book so that we could read it for ourselves. I don't have to take anyone's word for it that Jesus came back to life. Because you see, God preserved this so I could read it and I could know that Jesus came back to life. And it gave me a little bit of peace that it wasn't my responsibility to turn my grandpa to Jesus. Um, and I wish I could say, that he did accept Jesus, that he did change his mind. But even in his last dying breaths, I said, I said, Grandpa, are you sure you don't believe? And he said, I don't believe. That's tough. Well, my mom, she came from Puerto Rico when she was two years old. My grandfather got a job with GM, and so he came first. And then he sent money for my grandma and um, her four children to come up to join him in Michigan. And actually, funny story, I remember my grandma telling me that my grandpa at first only had money to send her and two of her children up to Michigan. And it was normal back then. If you had a better economic opportunity, like you would just leave. And some of your kids would live with relatives until you could afford to bring them all. But my grandma, she's got a lot of moxie and spunk. She's actually 100 years old. She's still alive to this day. Um, and she said, no way, uh-uh, I'm not coming to you send money to me and all, for me and all four of our children. So that's what happened. And my mom came here um, when she was two. And I just, I love that stance and that risk that my grandma took. Um, what a precious legacy she left to us. Um, but you see, my grandfather, my grandparents were very religious Hispanic. Catholics. Their um, faith had more to do with rituals and religion than it did a relationship with Jesus. And my grandpa died when I was 16, so I don't remember a lot about him or the faith that he left to us. Um, and I have no doubt that my grandma loves Jesus. It just makes my heart sad that she was never taught that Jesus deeply loves her and wants more than just rituals and devotion, that he wants to have a relationship with her, um, a friendship with her. Um, well, so the story goes that it was my mom's oldest sister who was the first to give her life to Jesus. She got saved in a little Pentecostal church and then led her three sisters, including my mom, to faith in Jesus. And I don't know when it was, but it was sometime after my mom and dad were married. So after my mom gets saved, she starts to take us to church. And it was in this little Baptist church with the best children's program in the whole world. I'm talking puppets and flannel grams. And I have to say, if you're not around my age and you didn't ever get to see flannel grams in church, I'm just, I'm sorry, I just have to say I'm sorry. Cause man, there was no better day when they would pull out this, it was like easel with a board that had flannel on it. And then there were little characters cut out. And my absolute favorite was when they had the tomb and they would roll the rock away and then out would come Jesus. I mean, listen, nothing better than that. But it was in this precious little Baptist church where these adults loved a loud 
kind of obnoxious kid. And I just couldn't figure that out. I just remember walking into that church and thinking, these people love me and this is awesome. And it was them and my mom who introduced me to Jesus and where my faith began. And just a side note, if you work in Grumlaw Kids, let me tell me tell you, you have no idea the impact that you are having on those kids. You have no idea who those kids will become one day. And let me just tell you, you are doing a hard and holy work and it matters. Those adults who loved me when I was little, they had no idea who I would become. They had no idea how much I would love Jesus. And I am forever grateful for the sacrifice they made the week in and week out to teach these rowdy little kids all about who Jesus is. So I just wanna say, keep it up, keep doing the good work, it matters. All right, so I'm gonna fast forward in my story to high school. I was still a part of this little church and I loved going to youth group there. And again, I found a group of adults who loved me, for who I was. And I remember my Sunday school teacher, his name was Derry. He looked at me one day and he said, Melissa, God has a plan for your life. And I, I can picture exactly where we were when he said that I can remember that memory so clearly because I was so amazed, like, God, you love me, God, you have a plan for my life. And I treasured that in my heart and treasure that still to this day. The God of the universe loved me, had a plan. It just seemed too good to be true. And I tell you, it still amazes me to this day that the God of this universe would choose me to do his work. I think, God, who am I? Because trust me, I'm really not that great, but that's how good God is. Well, I met my husband on a blind date our senior year of high school, and I had promised myself the year before that that I would never marry someone who didn't love Jesus because I had seen firsthand the struggle of being in a home where our parents were unequally yoked. I knew the heartache and the struggle of that. So this is how the story goes. I don't remember it this way, but Mark does. It's a pretty funny story. Apparently, we were driving in his truck, and I told him that I wouldn't marry him unless he loved Jesus, unless he was saved. And he said, okay, so how do I do this thing? And that's how he came to know Jesus. And I say, so who says missionary dating isn't effective? You know, it worked for, it worked for me. Um, we got married at 20 and 21 and boy, were we babies. We had no idea what we were doing. And we were so young and those first years of marriage were so hard. And I was really, really selfish, so much so that sometimes to this day, it still pains me. But God, he honored our mustard seed faith and we made it through those early years, three newborns, postpartum depression that lasts two and a half years, disappointments, setbacks, lost jobs, sick kids, anxious kids, and an attack on our marriage so strong that I wasn't sure that we would make it through. But here is where my story and Joshua's story intersect. You see, Joshua never lost faith because he had seen miracles, the miracles with his own eyes that God did. He had experienced God's faithfulness firsthand. And while I can and I have read the, about the miracles in this book, and I believe that 
all of it is true, I've seen God do miracles too. Five years ago, when Mark and I decided to help Shay um, start uh, Grumlaw Church, we left Venture Church where we had been for about nine years and we knew God was calling us. And I knew God wasn't calling me just to help start the church, but calling me to be on staff. I remember the assistant pastor um, at the church we were attending said to me, he said, Melissa, I just wanna let you know that when you take a step of faith for God, Satan doesn't like it. And now you have a target on your back and he's going to be coming for you. And I thought, naively so, okay, let's go. Satan, bring it on because you can't stop me. And well, he couldn't stop me, but he could and did try to destroy everything precious to me. Shortly after we started at Grandma, my oldest, who was 15 at the time, began to get sick. And we didn't have any explanation for what was going on with her. And we went to doctor after doctor after doctor with no answers. And I watched my athletic, strong, bubbly, you know, varsity basketball playing, um, state cross country runner, honors class taking child become a shell of herself hunched over all the time because of all the pain that she was in, so fatigued that she could barely move some days. Her body attacked her, her gallbladder so badly that at 16, she had to have it removed. And shortly after that, and going on at the same time with my oldest daughter's illness, my youngest, who had always struggled with big emotions, began to struggle with extreme anxiety so badly that she began to harm herself. She had bruises all over her legs that were self-inflicted. And she was only nine. And never in my life had I ever been so discouraged and felt like such a failure as a mom and so helpless. And then Mark and I began to struggle and none of it made sense. You see, we loved each other. No one had cheated or done anything like that. We didn't yell at one another. We, we didn't use cruel, harsh words in anger. Uh, we, it just, it didn't make sense. And my anxiety and my insecurity was so high that at times it was just hard to function. But God, you see, a year and a half after searching, we found a doctor who eventually gave us some answers and some solutions for my daughter. And she isn't healed yet, I say. She's not healed yet, but she's better. My youngest is now 13 and she is thriving. She's such a joy to be around. And the best, God restored my marriage. You see, he took what Satan used to harm us and God used it for our good. He healed deep places, deep wounds within us, God did. And then he gave me a marriage that I never even dreamed that I could have. We went from a place of insecurity and to safety and trust. I, like Joshua, have hardcore evidence that God is good and that he is faithful because you see, I too have seen miracles. At the end of Joshua's life, 
he had the opportunity to address the next generation of people. And this is where I wanna end the message this morning. I wanna give you something practical. I don't wanna just tell you stories. I want, I want you to know what you can do with this, with the evidence and the miracles of God's goodness and his faithfulness. So I want to read to you the words of Joshua and you can just listen, or if you want to, you can open up your Bibles. It's the sixth book, it's very close to the beginning. And we're gonna uh, read Joshua, we're gonna start at chapter 23. And this is Joshua's farewell address. I mean, he's an old man now. He's seen God's faithfulness. He's seen the miracles. He's remained faithful to God despite any type uh, of, of uh, resistance that's come against him or any of the circumstances that didn't look good. And these are his closing words. And then when we get to the last portion, some of the most famous words in all of the Bible he penned, I would bet so famous that some of you have these words in a picture frame or, or painted on a plaque somewhere posted in your home. All right, so let's just get to it. It says, the years passed and the Lord had given the people of Israel rest from all their enemies. Joshua, who was now very old, called together all the elders, leaders, judges, and officers of Israel. He said to them, I am now a very old man. You have seen every everything the Lord your God has done for you during your lifetime. The Lord your God has fought for you and your enemies. I have allotted to you all of your homeland, the land, the nations yet uh, unconquered, as well as the land of those who have already conquered. Joshua is saying, look, God promised to give us this land and now we are living in it. He said, this will be yours for the Lord your God will himself drive out all the people living there now. You will take possession of the land just as the Lord God had promised. Joshua saying, look at God promises and he is faithful. So be very careful to follow everything Moses wrote in the book of instruction. Do not deviate from it, turning either to the left or the right. Make sure you do not associate with the other people still remaining in the land. Don't even mention the name of their gods, much less swear by them or serve them or worship them. Rather, cling tightly to the Lord your God as you have done until now. For the Lord has driven out great and powerful nations for you, and no one has been able to defeat you. Each one of you will put to flight a thousand of the enemy, for the Lord your God fights for you. Joshua's like, I just want to remind you like, of God's faithfulness. He has been so faithful, and he will continue to be faithful faithful. He says, so be very careful because God is worthy, because we have seen his goodness with our own eyes. Be very careful to love the Lord your God. But if you turn away from him and cling to the customs of the survivors of these nations remaining among you, and if you intermarry with them, then know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive them out of the land. Instead, there'll be a snare and a trap to you. He's like, look, at, I'm, I'm going to give you a warning at front that you're going to be tempted to go your own way. You're going to be tempted to want to do your own thing, but don't do it because remember God's goodness. Remember his faithfulness. He alone is worthy. And Joshua says, soon I'm going to die. I'm going to go the way of everything on earth. Deep in your hearts, you know that every promise of the Lord your God has come true. Not a single one has failed. But as surely as the Lord your God has given you the good things he promised, he will also bring disaster on you if you do not obey him. He will completely destroy you from this good land he has given you if you break the covenant of the Lord your God by worshiping and serving other gods. He's like, don't do it. I'm telling you, it is not worth it. 
And chapter 24 says, Then Joshua summoned all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, including their elders, leaders, judges, and officers, and they came and presented themselves to God. And Joshua said to the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, he's reminding them of who they are as a people and of their heritage. He said, They lived beyond the Euphrates River, and they worshipped other gods. But I took your ancestor Abram, that's God, from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him into the land of Canaan. I gave him many descendants through his son Isaac. And to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau I gave the mountains of Seir, while Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron and I brought terrible plagues on Egypt. And afterward I brought you out as a free people. God was faithful. He says, but when your ancestors arrived at the Red Sea, the Egyptians chased after you with chariots and charioteers. He says, when your ancestors cried out to the Lord, I put darkness between you and the Egyptians. I brought the sea crashing down on them. With your very own eyes, you saw what I did. And then you lived in the wilderness for many years. But finally, I brought you into the land of the Amorites on the east side of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I, God, destroyed them before you. I gave you victory over them and you took possession of their land. And so Jacob, or so Joshua says, because of all of this, because of all of God's faithfulness, because all that he has done, all he has shown us, he gives them this instruction in verse 14. He says, so fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols of your ancestors, forever the ones they worship when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, you see, because Joshua knows not everyone will always remain faithful to God. So he's like, Serve the Lord wholeheartedly. But if you choose, if you refuse to serve him, then choose today who you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served when you were in Egypt? Would you prefer the gods who were unable to act, who were blind, who could not save and deliver you? Or maybe choose the gods, the Amorites, the gods of this land right now? Choose something. But Joshua says, and here's those famous words, but as for me and my family, or me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That is the goal of my life. It is the goal of my marriage. It is the goal for my children. And I tell you, the cost of following Jesus is high for those who set their mind like Joshua to follow God no matter what. Remember, he was one of two that came back who believed God and one of just a few in a nation of millions. Imagine the opposition. And it is no easier to follow God now it takes ruthless intention, determination, and devotion. It is a daily decision to die to what I want and live for what God obediently calls me 
to. It's a strong-willed determination to believe that God is good even when the circumstances are not. It's a steady day by day walk in the direction of righteousness, which is just right living. It's a day by day, sometimes moment by moment decision to be obedient to God. Joshua 23, 6, it says, so be very careful to follow everything in this book. Do not deviate from it. Do not turn to the left or to the right. Follow everything, not what's just convenient, not only what's easy and agreeable, everything. You see, God requires and he is worthy of full allegiance, full obedience. And let's be honest, anything short of full obedience isn't really obedience at all. We have a choice to make. You see, while depression and anxiety and broken marriages and faithlessness were, is what was passed down to Mark and I, we say no more. You see, God promises to be faithful. He actually said that I will be faithful to a thousand generations of those who love and obey me. And let me tell you, that is a promise that I stand on. I am like Joshua in that where I said, God, I am counting on you to come through. I am counting on you to be faithful. You see, because Mark and I are the first generation of a mom and dad who love Jesus and who are committed to following him no matter what the cost is. You see, Satan tried, but I'm like, Sorry, Satan, you won't win. Bring it on, whatever you got to bring, because I am counting on God's faithfulness. I have seen his promises. And you see my husband and I, we are the first generation of a thousand that God promises to love and bless. But as for me and my house, me and my family, we will serve the Lord. So before we end, I just wanna ask you this question. Who will you choose to serve? You see, because we all serve something. Jesus told us that. You're gonna serve God or you're gonna serve money. You're gonna serve God or you're gonna serve your career. You're gonna serve God or you're gonna serve your kids and make them your whole world. You're gonna serve God and you're gonna serve fame or popularity. Jesus said, you can't have two masters. You will love one and hate the other, or hate one and love the other. You will serve something. You are serving something. And I wanna ask you this, who are you serving? And, and before you just say, well, I'm serving God, or I'm maybe you're like, I am serving money and, and, and that's the whole purpose of my life is to make as much of it as I can. But I want you, before you answer, quickly who you're serving. I want you to examine the evidence. Ask yourself, what do you spend your time doing? These are very telling questions of who you're serving. Where do you spend your money? What do your words say about you? How would those closest to you answer this question? Do you serve anyone other than you? Do you serve at church? Do you serve in your community? Do you serve your family out of love and out of devotion? 
And then the second question is this, what, what are the consequences of your choice? You see, because there are consequences, good and bad, for who we serve. And so, again, examine the evidence. Are you filled with peace or anxiety? When I'm serving God and I'm counting on his faithfulness, even when things are not good, I can have peace. I don't have to be filled with anxiety. Is there peace or chaos in your home? That's a really good indicator of who you're serving. Do you live with intention? Do you get up and spend time with Jesus, that daily encounter, or you get up and your feet hit the floor, and man, you don't stop till you fall into bed because the circumstances of your life drive you, run your life. And the other question too is, are you mastered by anything that isn't God? Are you mastered by substances or pornography or anger, apathy, pride, materialism or technology? Man, I gotta tell you, I think this one, if anyone answered no in our day and age, we'd have to examine the evidence of that. And I wanna encourage you, if you have not gone back and listened to our previous series, uh, which was called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, I highly recommend that is a very good use of your time because most of us, we are mastered by technology, whether we want to or not. And if these questions are making you feel uncomfortable and maybe you don't like the answers that you know are true of you, you know what the good news is? It's not too late. You can make a different choice today. You can stand with Joshua. You can say like Mark and I have, as for me, and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray. God, I thank you. Oh, Father, I thank you that you are so, so faithful. I thank you, God, that you have given us your word so that we could read it for ourselves and know how good and faithful you are. And I'm thankful, God, that it didn't stop at your word that your promises didn't stop there, that they continue throughout every generation. Your faithfulness extends through every generation, God. And it wasn't just Joshua and Moses and Aaron and the people of Jesus' day who saw miracles. You still do miracles today. God, you still deliver people. You still turn our wayward, rebellious, stubborn hearts from gods that are not real, that lead us astray, and you turn us towards you. God, the words that that precious Sunday school teacher gave to me all those years ago that said, when he told me that you had a plan for my life that is true for every single person who is listening right now that you have a plan for their life and it is not too late. They have not done too many stupid things. They have not screwed up their life so much that you cannot reach down in this moment and save them and turn them onto the right path. Give them a new future, a new legacy. Help moms and dads become those who will be the first of a thousand generations that you're going to bless. God, I proclaim that this day, right here, right now, that you are doing a new thing. 
and that you are going to deliver, that you are going to save, that you are going to open eyes, that marriages are going to be saved, that children are going to be released from anxiety, God, that you are going to fall in the living rooms, in the cars, on the treadmills, wherever they may be listening to this word, that your spirit is going to fall and you are going to do a mighty work. You are not just the God of the Old Testament or the New Testament. You are the God of today. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the way you loved Joshua and, and showed yourself faithful to him back then, the way that you showed yourself faithful to Mark and I, you are going to continue to show your faithfulness to my children and their children and their children's children because that is who you are. You are a God who is so, so faithful and so good. Thank you, Father. We love you, Jesus. Amen.